We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is Donna Ingram. I have about 30 years experience in fire and fraud and a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators. We're glad to have you here. Yes, and this is your co-host, Mike Flatman. I've got uh, 46 years of uh, fire investigations. I'm an expert fire investigator. I'm honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators and the president of Fire Consulting International. And we are honored today to have a wonderful guest, Mr. Bo Roberts of Bo Roberts Investigations out of Shreveport, Louisiana. I'll tell you a little bit about him. Bo served as a firefighter in Shreveport for 30 years. After graduating from the FBI's Bomb and Hazardous Device School, he served as the Shreveport Fire Department Chief of Investigations and Bomb Squad from 87 to 93. In 1993, he was named Chief of the Shreveport Fire Department. During his seven-year tenure as Chief, he led the department to its first-ever Class One rating from the ISO and served in the aftermath of the Oklahoma City bombing, commanding a search and rescue team and aiding in critical incident stress debriefing. Since his retirement from the fire department in 2000, he has worked privately as an origin and cause specialist investigating fires for insurance companies and manufacturers. He continues to teach fire investigation for various fire departments and agencies throughout Louisiana and Arkansas. Bo, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's a privilege to be with y'all today. No, we appreciate you being there, Bo, because um, I was lucky enough to meet Bo when uh, I was down in Louisiana. We we were putting on an extra expert witness testimony course, and, and Bo uh, arranged for a federal court with a federal judge and some very good attorneys um, to, to do that course with us. Uh, and also... Um, I got to know him, uh, and all the, he does private investigations, and um, I know that he's very interested in in, uh, in training the, the new generation. Um, Bo, I wanted to ask you about that, because uh, you and I are, uh, well, you know, I think I'm older than you, but, well, you know, we're in our 20s now, yeah. and uh, so um, I would like to talk to you a minute about how, how you... Um, what's your philosophy about the new, uh, the new generation of fire investigators, uh, and their training. Well, you know, Mike, the, the big deal in our field, most of the guys that's been doing origin calls, especially in the private sector, have are, are got a bunch of silver hairs doing it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, 40, 50, 60-year-old guys still doing it. And I don't see a, a bunch of young guys that are really interested in doing it. So when we do find guys around our state and around our area, we try to mentor them, you know, but trying to get them in, involved in the, you know, of course, the uh, uh, International Association of Arts Investigators, and we're so blessed in Louisiana, Mike and Donna, that we got we got good people, the Rick Joneses and other people in the world in our chapter that's gone before us, Dan Abair, that provides great training throughout the state, and so I want to be a part of that. I want to see. I want to leave it my goal and my my company and my career is to leave it better than I found it. 
I want to try to provide training to, to young guys and, and get them interested in our, our Louisiana chapter of IAAI, get them a part of that, start providing the type of training that they can to get the, to get the certifications they, that are necessary to, to start doing fire investigations. No, you have a very good um, investigator working with you uh, that took our course, Bo, and I was very impressed with the amount of knowledge that uh, you've imparted to him and, and his, uh, his research uh, that he did on his own. Uh, that kind of inspiration to the fire investigators is very important because, uh, and I know you'll address this for me, because uh, we actually do a public service, even though we're not public service people anymore, we're not on fire and, and, and police departments anymore, Our private, as a private investigator, we go and determine uh, the causes of fire, sometimes even when the authorities can't do so, or if, the, if let's say, it's not uh, an incendiary fire, it's not an arson fire, well, then they're, they're out of it, and we have to find out what those um, uh, products are that, that, uh, that cause fires. And so... We always we all, we also uh, contribute to the public service, but your example, Bo, is is very important. And I know uh, I would like you to just address for a moment the what you feel is that the private investigator brings to uh, to society by his work. Well, you know, I hope all of the private guys are truth seekers and fact finders. You know, not trying to find out. You know, not trying to be right all the time. And, but trying to do their very best to determine where the fire originated at and what caused the fire. In order to do that, I think sometimes, you know, we have, it's a lot of work has to go into it, debris removal, many things like that. But, you know, the main thing, Mike, that I try to tell guys that are trying to get into the business is that it's okay that you don't know every time. And, you know, I've run into some people, and I'm sure you have too, Mike, that says, you know, we can figure out every fire. Well, that's, that's BS. You can't do that. You know, just trying to go in and not be uh, client pleasers, but fact finders and truth seekers. And if you go in in that attitude, you're going to be very successful. And, you know, but during that process, you've got to continue to try to, you know, I'm an older gentleman. I'm 67 years old, but I'm, I, I don't miss any training classes. I try to stay up on NFPA 921, stay abreast of everything that's going on in 1033. So that we continue to to uh, to do the be the best I can be for my client. I wanted to ask you about um, in on the on the public side in particular, um, because what both of you have just stated is exactly right. You have people coming out of fire and police. That's typically the path to the private investigation field. On the public side, you mentioned earlier that, that you're seeing a drop in interest. And so I got a two-sided question here. One is, what do you suppose is the reason for that drop? And two is, what can we do to raise the interest in, in the public side in fire investigation? You know, Don, I think one of the main things is the new NFPA 921 that came out uh, back in 2014, not the latest edition of 2017. Man, it spooked a lot of people. And uh, it's just, it causes a fire investigator to be much more trained. NFPA 1033 also has spooked some people when they added those. Now it was 13 items that we had to have at least a high school education on. Now it's went to 16. And I think that people, the days of just going out there, everything was electrical. 
You know, everything's electrical. You know, you go out to the fire scene, hey, it's electrical. Or, you know, it's, it's intentionally set. And there's a lot of people that don't really want to do the work or doesn't want to do the training to stay abreast with all the, that we need, the knowledge we need to know today. And I think that's one. And number two is I think in a lot of areas I don't think people have set good examples for the younger guys to try to get involved in, the, in a career in fire investigations. Right. So, you know, um, yeah, I was lucky. Um, I was lucky. I, I was um, a police uh, detective, and um, I was getting my my degrees, and I got a master's in criminal justice. But on the way there, I wrote a paper on arson, which suddenly made me the the fire investigator guy. So I had to go out and find out about it. Um, uh, I know a lot of uh, in the in the fire service. Sometimes people are transferred into fire prevention. And uh, and they they have to go and and get their training. But when you were chief, um, I imagine that you stressed the uh, um, you know your fire prevention people or fire investigations people to get trained. It's too bad that in in this country um, there's some some people just uh, some departments treat it as a place to a place to put somebody that's like uh, been injured or or something like yeah. that. I, yeah. I think you're yeah, it's too bad. Real good point. No, we, you know, I, I think the people that was in fire prevention that did fire investigations, you know, fire inspections and public educations, they were the best of the best in our department. And uh, we had, because we, we tested for that. You actually had to take a test to go into that. And you went through an interviewing process. And so we had the opportunity of, of getting the best men and women that was on. You know, when I left the Shreveport Fire Department in 2000, and we had over 600 employees. And uh, so we're, we're pretty big, 22 fire stations. We're a fairly big fire department that rendered advanced life support and did everything else that the fire service asked for us when I was fire chief. But <clears throat> the, my, my point is saying all of that. I, I, think, I think the quality of guys that are in the majority of the public that's doing it for the public are good guys or, that are very well <clears throat> thought of on their departments but they need to have the proper training and encouragement to do the best job that they can do. Yeah, they need an investment from their department. I understand. And, what, what, and you, you know, well, but you've taken you've taken it a step further, which I really encourage uh, this because you've you've uh, you've taken uh, a, an individual that didn't have fire or police experience, and yet you've trained him and you've you've educated him. You sent him all these. Uh, different uh, seminars, and he was in my expert witness class and did extremely well. And, uh, and so it's, it's working, um, and, and we try to do that in Fire Consulting International, but we usually take um, fire department uh, investigators and then train them uh, so that they can someday become private investigators. But uh, do you see that well, happening? Mike, if what someone asked doing? me how, what's the best way to get in to become a fire investigator, I, I would tell them the fire department route. You know, learn, right. learn about fire suppression, you know, building codes, building access, all of those things. But that's not, you don't, and some of the best fire investigators I know, Mike and Donna, never had that experience. Some of them come from the, the detective side, the police department. Some of them were, went and got them a fire science degree and came up through that part, that avenue to get there. So there's many different avenues to become a, a, a really good fire investigator at this time. 
in addition to that, um, what what would you see from within? What is the best way to actually spark and <laughs> lack of a better term, spark an interest <laughs> with the, the fire service, the public? Yeah, I, you know that's a that's a tough question because you know a lot of guys today just want to come to work and you know leave when they get off, you know don't and, and leave work at, behind them when they get off, you know at five or whenever their shift ends, Donna, but. Because you know, most of our investigations, we don't ever know when they're going to happen. You know, they might happen at two in the morning or five in the morning. And, hey, uh, child's birthday, you're going to have a fire. You know, Christmas Eve, you got a fire. You got to go investigate. So mm-hmm. it's tough. But I, I really think that, that the main thing we got to do is we got to start getting more proactive of finding someone that's got the initiative and give them some incentives to be a fire investigator and get them involved in, in the local training that you have. And you're exactly right. A couple of years ago, one of our local uh, trainings, we had an attorney that came in and was talking about 921 and 1033, and she did spook. I actually heard comments from people that have been doing this for years of, I'm going to retire if this is going this way. And then on the new side of people going, I had no idea that it was going to take this much work. I don't think I want to do this. Exactly. And, well, you know, really, um, Don and Mike, it's really a, a NFPA 921 and 1033 is really a good thing. It is mm-hmm. called people, number one, that just wanted to just come and, and go through the motions to get out of the business. But number two, it's got the ones that are in the business. we gotta be, we got to get after it. we got to know what we're doing because if not, we're going to get called out or be daubered out of a case, many other things. But I, I really think there's some bright young men and women in the fire service today that, that hadn't been given an opportunity to, uh, to, to come across a mentor that can take them and walk them through the, and let them see what they do every day and teach them this is the best way to do it and not let them develop no bad habits and early in their career that will make them get out of the business later on in the career. Because there are people out there, I just think we've got to reach those people. I agree with right. you, and on top of that, uh, that's what that's when it, uh, well, that's what's been my focus since about the 1990s is um, trying to train our well, Bo and I, well, you and I, we both have that silver hair, my friend, and so we're training our replacements. We're training the people that are coming in along behind us, and uh, and um, I always tell these uh, guys that that work in these small volunteer departments that don't get very many fires that they ought to try and hook up with. Uh, private investigator and see if they, he'll take them with them to a bunch of scenes if it, if it works out with their companies, etc. And um, I know that you take, uh, well, you started with uh, Gabe. Yep. Gatlin, uh, he, what a great guy. Um, he was in the course there. And you took him, you started taking him with you, didn't you? From uh, And he didn't correct. have any background. You know, and, uh, and, you know, many other words, we have done that in the past, especially you know, they're not working in the private sector, but there's still there's guys on the state fire marshal in Louisiana. I think we've got a great mm-hmm. state fire marshal system in our state, and uh, some other departments in in our rounding. When I go into their areas, I let them know that I'm there. You know, come out, you know, and see what we're doing. You know, and kind of shadow me what we're going on. And I don't know everything, but but what I don't know, I know I know where to go to find out. And uh, right. trying to do it right, you know, sh- show them how to what we're doing, and and not to take the easy steps to get through their investigation. Well, you know, what's funny is um, you teach it, you teach it, and I teach it. Is 
uh, I don't know is a good answer because nobody nobody can know everything about anything. You see, that's true. And uh, and it's sometimes really hard for fire investigators to say I don't know, yeah. and, and that's difficult. <laughs> so. uh, yes, it is. But I'll tell you what, Mike. So many times, even that you you stated this in the class last week, the courtroom testimony class. It's better to say you don't know than to say something that's not right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so right. that was that's always the right thing to do. And hey, if you don't know, go go find out. Go to nine twenty one. There's so many other things. Uh, you know, Kurtz, Lentini's books. Right. There's so many different places that I that I try to utilize. CFI trainer. You know, just go and find out. Research it. Be a student of your craft. It's what I try to encourage all the young guys. I want both of you to, you You just said something very, very important and that is very confusing even with seasons and seasoned investigators right now. Please, both of you, give an explanation of I don't know versus undetermined. Oh, <laughs> well, there, go ahead. You go ahead, Bo. You want to go first? You want me to do it? You go ahead, and I'll, I'll follow okay. that up. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, when usually when I'm talking about I don't know, it, it, they're going to say they're going to say something like, um, "Do you know what the equation is for flashover?" Okay. It's okay not to know that. You just have to know where to go get it, and then um, and then and and also know that there are heat release rates of uh, of different materials as they burn and stuff like that. But if you don't automatically know that. What you can say is, I don't know. I'll go look it up. I'll find out for you and get back to you with it. It's it's not it's not you don't make something up as Bo said. Now now let's talk about undetermined for a second. Undetermined is is actually not a bad determination. There's only four determinations for fire, right? Natural is like lightning, wind, something earthquake, right? Accidental it can be any accidental causes. A third one is incendiary, which means a set fire, intentionally set, which it's not arson because arson is a legal term, and that means intentionally set in a, in a place where the person uh, doesn't, uh, knows that there's not supposed to be a fire, okay, and it's intentional. And then the last one is undetermined. Now, undetermined is the type of fire where you go to a fire scene, and I think, I think Bo's going to talk about the most difficult kind of fires to investigate. Um, one of mine is, of course, the, the, um, the grounder, the one that's on the ground and totally burned and is burned for three days, and here you go. So if you can say undetermined pending further information and then start your investigation, I mean, even at the end of the fire scene examination, if you say undetermined pending further information doesn't mean necessarily that it's over. Uh, it just means that you cannot tell at that particular moment what happened? You may be able to come into some information that will uh, that will push you over the line to, to be able to call it. So now it's your turn, Sir Bo. Well, you know, I I can say amen to everything you said, Mike. And, you know, that's that's basically it. You know, uh, undetermined fire. You know, there's always going to be circumstances where all the hypotheses of the fire cause has been eliminated, and the investigators mm-hmm. left with no hypotheses that is evidenced by the facts of the investigation. And the only choice the investigator has is to rule determined, rule the cause undetermined. And here's the here's the thing that 921 says about it that it's improper, you know, to, to have without a specific fire cause, ignition sequence, fuel or 
cause classification when there's no evidence to support it, even though all other hypotheses is eliminated, that is when the fire is undetermined. Now, when you say you don't know, you know, now it's not right to say you don't know when you had an opportunity to know, like, Mr. Roberts, did you know that, uh, you know, there, there was an eyewitness that said that the fire originated in the basement, not on the first floor area. And I didn't do my homework with canvas in the area and finding that eyewitness. But it is okay if you say you don't know the, the propagation of su- such a material or something like that, but, yeah, but I know where to go to find it. And you know the, the formula that you came up with to, uh, you know, how, how many gallons it would be in a kerosene heater. Right. You can find that information out. Mm -hmm. Laziness and lack of effort is not okay to say, I don't know to that. And isn't it so, and I I want to point this out to the listeners, and there are times, particularly in the private field, but even in the public arena, that pending further information, it's not going to happen because of budgetary reasons, because of economics. So it's going to remain that where you you don't have that opportunity going forward because there's not economics there to move forward. Absolutely. You know, in a lot of cases, Mike can speak on this also. As a private investigator, I go out on fire scenes, and, um, you know, I need more resources to complete my, to do a thorough, complete examination. And my client will tell me, such as like getting the engineer involved or doing a backhoe, trichoe to, to do more, you know, whatever. And they just say, hey, you know, they don't think that we're going to have enough in the budget to cover that. So, you know, I, I, sh- I have to shut my investigation down without really completing what I'd like to do. But that's up to the client sometimes. That is, right. you're absolutely right. It's an, it's an economic decision. The, the, the loss they consider to not be worth the further expenditure of uh, what we might need, um, electrical, mechanical engineers, structural engineers, whatever. Um, you know, they've got a, a, a building in a, in a dilapidated area that's uh, uh, insured for, for a certain amount, and, uh, and they're going to spend as much as that amount to get everybody to look at it. So I understand it, but it, it still doesn't... Uh, Bo, I got to tell you, I, there's a lot of uh, undetermined fires that I went to, and I I'm, I made a list. And I'll tell you what, I'm uh, when I right before when I go up to see St. Peter, and I'm standing there at the gate, I'm going to ask them what started this one, and was I right about this one? And uh, I know that we uh, couldn't call it, you know, and see what he's. Oh saying. yeah, I think yeah, I think he's going to say that's part of your hell, and then press the button, the down elevator button. I'm not sure. But that's and didn't you mean oh. if instead of when? I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to devil him. Um, what I, I did want to say that, that and we're, we're getting to where we only have a couple of minutes before the break, but to point out that in addition to the intimidation factor, of what's required to become a fire investigator, I'm also seeing discouragement because of the undetermined and and those types of fires because it's very frustrating for a fire investigator to not be able to proceed and and figure out exactly and be able to write down what happened. 
Yeah, well, we have to. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bo, I think you'll agree with me that this is uh, that's an economic decision that we can't make for for our clients, and we have to do mm-hmm. what their their will is. Ed, right? You know, Donna, in uh, some of the areas in the South, uh, um, the fire investigators chastise if he puts down undetermined. And I've actually yeah. had some some public investigators tell me that. But, you know, hey, that's a cla- Mike went over it very uh, well. You know, that's a classification. It's no di- undetermined is no different than, you know, accidental or natural or incendiary. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of the things that we've been given as a fire investigator to use uh, in, our, in our classification. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes Mike made a great example you know, when, a, when you go to a black hole, a fire that had burned out in the rural area of Podunk, Louisiana, and it burned for three days, and there's not one horizontal left of construction left in it, and, it's on, and it was on peering beams, and now everything is on the ground, you've got zero <laughs> right. chance of determining what caused that fire. You know, unless you get a positive sample or, or something like that, it's, you know, as far as doing any arc mapping, that's out the window. You know, fire dynamics, that's gone. You know, moving intensity patterns, that's out the window. You know, so there's nothing left there for you to do. And, hey, a lot of times I have to call the, the local volunteer fire department to come out there to even to cool down the ashes for we can get in there to do what we need to do. Right, so, right. So it's just a really difficult circumstances. And, hey, I'm a much better investigator when I'm in a, in a paid fire department area where they get there quick and they put the fires out than I am in the real rural areas because I don't have as much to work with a lot of times when they're out in the middle of the country. And, you know, the fire burned forever before eyewitness found it. And then it took the, the, the guys had to take off work, run to the fire station, get the truck, you know, drive 15 miles to get there. You know, 40, 40 you're right. miles have gone by. You know, you're right, Bo. And, and uh, we're going to have to break now before uh, there's a break here. So when, sure. so when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about what do you think the most difficult fire is type of to investigate so when you come back ladies and gentlemen when you come back come back to speaking of fire we're making it easier to listen to the voice america talk radio network live wherever you go on iphone blackberry or android download it from the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlappman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. And, Bo, are you still on the line with us? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, we we had great discussion before the break, but I, this is very important. I wanted to make sure that we talk a little bit about it's not very often we get uh, the honor of talking to someone that, that gave such great service in, during the Oklahoma City bombing, and I'll let you take it from there. Well, you know, Donna, Mike, I was the fire chief in Shreveport, and uh, we were on the we were on the cutting edge, and uh, on critical incident stress debriefing, we had guys like Mark Canella, David Glass, and especially Darrell Tuberfield, that were really the founding fathers of that. And, you know, in the fire service, it was a new deal. So, to make a long story short, um, about a year before the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, uh, a roof collapsed, a wall caved in, roof collapsed in, and killed three Oklahoma City firefighters. Oh, Their fire goodness. chief, Chief Mars, contacted me, and uh, we sent our critical incident stress debriefers up there to help those uh, uh, American heroes up there and to get over that tragedy. So when the, when the bombing occurred, I was sitting in my office, and my secretary came in and said, Chief, do you know what's going on? I didn't turn the TV on, found out all about it. Well, we were one of the first fire departments that were contacted uh, right after the bomb. And, and so we got our debriefers heading up that way, and I decided to send that we were going to send some of our search and rescue, the best of the best up there to help that in that tragedy. And we got to go. And, you know, and to, I say, I tell you all this uh, to tell you that, you know, it's important that you help people along the way, okay? No matter where it is in life, whether it's in your civil duties, whether it's in your professional duties or in your, or your Christian beliefs, you've got to help people. And so by helping them a year before, we got invited immediately. Okay, listen, mm-hmm. this, this is nothing but factual stuff. We get there, and uh, my, all those guys drive up, and I fly up. That later that afternoon, get there. The next morning, I go to the command center, and it's ATF, FBI, everybody that's anybody in our country is there, and you can't get to the to the bomb site. Well, lo and behold, the guy that's over the scene that day was Jerry Dennis. Jerry Dennis was an ATF agent that worked his way up, and uh, Mike, he became... Uh, uh, president of International Bomb Technicians. Oh, yeah, and I know that. Jerry, yeah. Jerry Dennis had uh, come through Shreveport for part of his career. And, you know, you needed, what is it, Mike, 200, 250 fires before you can get on yeah. Their, yeah. Their, their their team, you know, be called out. Well, 
I was chief of investigations, chief of the bomb squad, so I, we started calling Jerry out. He got all of his fires so he could participate in, you know, with ATF, <laughs> uh, what is it called, the tag team or advanced NRT. team? NRT. Yeah, yeah the right. NRT, National Response yeah. Team. Well, yeah. when we get there, Jerry Dennis is, 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 is the acting agent over the, over the scene that morning. So I got escorted right down to the scene. So that tells you a couple of things. It tells you help people along the way and do what's right when you're in your community. And anyway, we got to go there. We stayed. A lot of our guys stayed for weeks. And, uh, you know, a lot of our um, search and rescue guys found, uh, you know, victims over in the, uh, in the water uh, department across the street. But it was just a, just a terrific, terrific, uh, uh, horrible incident that happened in our country. And at that time, you know, it was the greatest uh, terrorist attack in the history of our country. You know, then of course mm-hmm. later, nine eleven came by. But, but you know, I've actually had to. I've got to go back and see the memorial, and uh, you know, it just breaks my heart for how many lives that that were lost that day. But I, I'm proud of the fire service of how they responded, and you know what we did. And I was proud of the Shreveport Fire Department for the opportunity to participate and try to do good. And I'll tell you this one story. Every time, everything was barricaded off, and, you know, this, this, you know, it's amazing what ammonia nitrate that can do. Mm-hmm. Just, you go buy some fertilizer, put some diesel fuel in it, stir it up, and, you take, of course, it takes a small explosion to create a, a big explosion. So they probably, he probably, McVeigh probably had some uh, um, C4 blasting cap and, you know, just old-time fuse that you light in back of the, the van. And, anyway, when you walk down to the... To the bomb site every day to that to the federal building. You'd walk down there, and there'd be hundreds of people lined up behind barricades, and they mm-hmm. would be showing you pictures, Mike and Donna, of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And when you come out, every question that every everyone asked when you come out of the of the hot zone down there where the where the bombing took place was, did you see find somebody like that today? Uh, yeah. I got all of our people together, and I told them, I said, listen, guys, we got to be good today. We are search and rescue guys. we got to be the best we've ever been. we got to try to find some loved one that keeps showing us that picture every day. And, That's right. You know, and, I, I, and, and through all of that tragedy, and I go back and I see the memorial, it just brings back, you know, a lot of memories, a lot of, a lot of bad memories of knowing that, that so many people, so many Americans lost their lives or something was so foolish and like a like a bomber would do like that but it also it made me very proud to be a part of the fire service and uh, the commitment that not only the Shreveport fire department made but hundreds of other fire departments made and then 9-11 comes along I, I tell everybody that America heroes are firefighters and police officers and you know of course are our soldiers that defend our countries and, uh, so and you're, I, you know, you're absolutely right. Moment. It'll tear your heart out to work the scenes, but you you have to have pride in in being able to find those people for the for the families and give them some closure. Um, uh, it was horrible. You know, Oklahoma City was horrible, and then um, and then you know, as you said, nine nine eleven, and we lost over three hundred um, uh, firefighters in that and policemen and uh, on top of the three hundred and. And it's really terrible. Um, well, I, I, I want to stress what you just said. I mean, about how important it is um, when you're when you serve your community, like firefighters do. Every time that there's a call, 
the firefighters are risking their lives when they leave that station because they could be hit by an, a semi on the way to the scene. They could uh, a wall could fall on them. Uh, the um, uh, they could have a heart attack because uh, you know of the exertion. And um, and so there's no such thing as some kind of victimless uh, fire where um, you know somebody can always die. And it, it, just because you're burning a vacant building, you think, Mister Mister Business Owner, doesn't mean you can't kill somebody. And uh, you probably, been, um, Chief, did you ever when you were Chief, did you ever have to? Well, you said you had lost some firefighters, and it was a was it a incident or something like uh, a fire where a, a roof came in or something? No, uh, praise praise the Lord, Mike. That never happened to me. That was it happened in Oklahoma City when the building fell on oh. there. We we went okay. up there as debriefers to okay. do that. But early in my career. As uh, just a firefighter, fire investigator, we had a couple of guys burnt severely bad. One of them made it, one of them didn't. Had Dixie Coke storage where an explosion occurred. And uh, just made a tremendous impact on my life and my career that, you know, you know, it's just so many times. And I get really upset when, um, you know, as a, as a fire chief, fire investigator, you know, I never tolerated false alarms. You know, people called it. We you know, never tolerated that. I wanted to, and uh, you know, and now down in the south for a long time, we've had problem with volunteer firefighters and other firefighters setting fires. Man, hang them yeah. high. You know, hang them to the highest limb. You know, shame on you for doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I think several firefighters might have told you, Mike, when you were down here, one of the investigators. You know, I walked out on a class because they had a, a firefighter was going to talk about how he set fires and. You know, and cause other fires to come. I wouldn't. I wasn't going to listen to it. I did not want oh. to participate because, I, as a fire chief, uh, and being a, uh, active in the International Association of Fire Chiefs, I saw how many times firefighters were killed uh, going to false alarms. And everything that you just mentioned about you know stress and getting killed, false alarms, and all this other stuff, and firefighters setting fires, and we're trying to other guys are putting it out. Man, I just couldn't tolerate that. I want to add to that, too. Them. We had arrested them. We had one volunteer that uh, it was about his fourth fire that uh, we finally got him and got arrested him. He was on the hose. We took him right off the hose. Um, well, tell me, uh, well, uh, Bo, well, I, 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 I had a teaser before the break. Uh, what time, what do you think is the most difficult fire type of fire to investigate yourself? Well, there's many. You know, Mike, and you mentioned, you know, the black holes that we talked about were, you know, fires been burning out in Podunk and, uh, you know, it's been burning forever, nothing left to look at. That's one. But but when there's really something left, vehicle fire, of course, always to me, the emotional part of a fire death, a fire victim is always a difficult thing, you know. And, uh, you know, that's, let me say that first and foremost. But, you know, vehicle fires, you know, there's so many different fuels in a vehicle that burns so many liquid fuels, combustible fuels that's in a vehicle. And, and most of the times, the ones that we look at is the exact same thing. You know, they're never in an area where a fire department can get there and put them out quick. You know, I did one right. yesterday in yeah. New Orleans that, uh, you know, my goodness, it was just a shell. And, uh, you know, most of the components in the engine had been destroyed. And, uh, 
And so those are always really difficult for me. And, you know, most of the new systems in vehicles, uh, you know, computerized and when the wiring are are compromised and so many other components within the vehicle are are compromised, it just makes it really difficult for an investigator to to come to a really reasonable conclusion that exactly what caused that fire. Yeah, I agree. And and we we call on automotive engineers, we call on ASC master mechanics, you know, to help us. Sure. Uh, sometimes pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, you can still get gasoline's not supposed to be inside uh, the uh, passenger compartment. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we get that oh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those guys. It's three o'clock in the morning and burning in a rural area, and wow. you know, and he reports it's stolen. Yeah, but the but it's the you know the motor's been blown out on it for you know a couple weeks. Anyway, they dragged it out there. But anyway, but uh, at the same time, you know, I think you're right, Bo. I, I, I always find the most difficult one uh, is the child fatality one. Sure. Um, well, yeah, even though I no, longer, I no longer go there while the bodies are there, um, I still go there and see the imprints of the bodies, the, uh, the uh, areas where they burned and, and uh, end up like uh, looking at the autopsy pictures. Hmm? Donna and Mike, today I'm sitting in Jonesboro, Louisiana, at their uh-huh. little fire station right here. They've got some paid okay. firefighters who do a great job. And I'm, look, I'm investigating a fire today in, mm-hmm. in a house where the mother put the two four, I think four and five-year-old boys to bed. She went to bed. Well, the boys got up and got a chair, turned on the oven, and put their little play toys inside the oven. Uh, and, and yes, and, and then tried uh-huh. once it started burning, they they raked it out with a broom and anyway set the kitchen on fire. They did not have a working smoke detector. Oh, they had good a smoke detector in yep. there, but the battery was gone. And I say all mm-hmm. this. This is fire prevention month in our country, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, man, I encourage all of our listeners wherever you are, check your smoke detector. I will not lay my head down if I spend the night in a hotel or my deer camp or if I'm visiting relatives. I don't lay my head down at night without knowing I've got a working smoke detector. And, and I, I think that's the responsibility of a fire investigator, you know, because we, we figure we go investigate fires to figure out what caused the fires so we can prevent fire. And, you right. know, and we cannot go be in the fire service without being an advocate for fire prevention. And so I want to say that, and, you know, I think it's a good story that, you know, fire uh, smoke detectors are early warning devices. And if the more you have, the sooner you know you're going to have a fire, the faster you can call the fire department, right? And the more you can save people's lives, the faster that you call the fire department, the sooner that the American heroes can get there and extinguish your fire. And it's a big help to the fire investigator, right, Mike? Absolutely, yeah, and yeah, the more yeah, we got to work with. Yeah, because they're still alive, and they can tell us when the smoke detector got out. They looked down the hallway, and the and the dining room was on fire. So it kind of gives us an idea. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Anyway. Uh, well, I was going to say, NFPA has the statistics, and I'm I'm the queen of posting statistics online with LinkedIn and so forth. And a sm- a working smoke detector gives you uh, at least two more minutes 
um, at least, oh. is what I think they've put out. And also another initiative the NFPA has is fire sprinklers in the homes. And the co- the average cost in a home it adds just a few thousand dollars. However, that's that's a lifesaver. Absolutely. Yeah, they've come out with good um, retrofit, um, uh, more economical retrofit uh, home sprinkler systems too, which I love. People would would get it, but um, they are they think it's too expensive. But how expensive is your child's life? Amen. You know how good it is. Yeah. Exactly, well, okay, exactly. so guess, guess what? You can mix this one together, Bo. What's your, your feeling about um, it's people getting into the fire uh, business, and uh, how do they start to, um, to get an investigator? What do you think that they should start doing? If they should go to the fire or police, what? Yeah, you know, either one. You know, I, I really believe that, you know, the fire service is the best route to get, and, uh, you know, because I think the, the more you know about fire, how it spreads, you know, a construction of uh, a different type of uh, construction features and buildings, and, and though that's a good avenue to get going. But you know, you know, Mike, I think the CFI trainer is a great tool. I, I I I go on that thing all the time and look at different things and try to better educate myself on different things. So that's one way. You know, and I'm a I'm like I like to I like to go I Google everything, man. Starter <laughs> on a 2013 Hyundai something. You know, I, I look at it, I find out, you know, they'll show you how to put it on your vehicle. So be a student of your craft is what I tell people. I don't care where you're at in life. If you're cutting hair or fixing cars or you're a fire investigator, you know, be a student of your craft. And, and, and go join the International Association of Arts Investigators. That's what I tell all of them. Start getting the bulletin to read and what's going on. And then you have access to so much other training and just be a be a student of uh, what you're trying to do. Yeah, that, that was really great with the IAAI, the the ATF, and the uh, U.S. Fire Administration in 2004 and uh, in five launched CFITrainer.net, where firefighters, fire investigators uh, uh, can go and get training on fire investigations. Uh, uh, they have to sign up for it, and, and it's free, and they can do it at their own fire station. They can do it at home. They can do it anywhere, and it gives them some great uh, background knowledge and then tells them where to go to get further, and that's what Bo's talking about. And that Fire and Arson Investigator magazine, when you join the International, uh, that's the latest uh, research. And um, and then, of course, you have to keep up with the text. Um when I went into fire prevention and started doing fire investigations for the city, there was a, there was a guy named Buzz Snyder, and he, mm-hmm. was a, he was a really good investigator, and he let me shadow him, and, and he taught me what he knew. And that's what I always encourage young guys to go find somebody that's doing this regularly and that's a professional in fire investigation and, and try to hang out with them when they come to your area. Yeah, and oh well, I wanted to bring out something that you've got something neat going on down in Louisiana, and that is, and and we just put on that expert witness course, and I want you to tell me what your impression of that one is. But what I want to say that you've got it that we a lot of us in the other states of the union do not have, and that is in Louisiana, you are allowed as a fire investigator to stay in while the other fire investigator testifies. They can actually watch their testimony. 
In a lot of other states, you're excluded, and you have to sit out in the hallway on that nice hard bench and wait about four hours for yourself to testify. And I know, Bo, that you're in there, and that's kind of an edge, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, and hey, sometimes it's intimidating, especially in depositions when other guys are sitting across the table from you. But it's just a, it's another avenue. Now, some, sometimes the judge will not allow it, but most of the times they do. In well, addition, that's great. And you can yeah. lean over and say, ask him this and ask him that. Absolutely. Yes, sir. <laughs> I like that. Hey, but your but class anyway. last week, Mike, I, I recommend anybody that has never testified in court or wants to get their sort of CFI, you know, man, they need to be a, that needs to be a, that was a home run in our area. And we really thank you for coming down. I learned from it. And I just think that, uh, Anybody that's doing fire investigations would need to go through that class from the state fire marshal to the local public guy or any private investigator. I think it would be good to uh, to go through that class. Well, it's high praise when you say you learned something from it. That's uh, uh, so all i got to say. And uh, it's, uh, I, I think one of the nicest things you said uh, about it was, gosh, this thing is bulletproof. There's so much wrong with it that you can't possibly yeah, right. ever exactly. get rid of the truth. Exactly. Donna's, Donna's familiar with that course, too, aren't you, Donna? Yes, and along in in it's all part of the training, and these are just different things that we're talking about. Uh, when there there are people out there that uh, have true scientific, like scientific PhD science. Uh, in their background that are trying to push us out of this business too. Um, fire science oh, yeah. is, it plays oh, yeah. a big role, Bo. What are, talk to us a little bit about fire science. Well, I think it's an important role in, in, in what you do. But you know, the scientific method, we know all know what that is, but listen, <clears throat> the science of our is, is is changing, you know, you got to continue to stay, and that all goes back to training, and it all goes back to, this is Mike's what I tell everybody, every case that you go do, you gotta, you got to realize it's just possible that you end up in court. And uh, by doing that, if you do every one of your investigations, knowing one day that you might have to <clears throat> raise your hand, you, you'll, you'll learn more about fire signs and uh, all the little things that, that go within the fire signs. Because I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, and believe that fire signs is just a stepping stone of what we need to know in our business. Mm-hmm. And you can go from there to, you know, fire chemistry, to thermal metric. You know, anything that, we, that goes on in our field, you know, it all starts with fire signs. Exactly. That's right, and that's- one thing that 921 didn't uh, change was uh, the good Lord. I know you're a, a religious man, um, oh, and, and you're a spiritual guy. And it, one thing he didn't change is what the Lord gave us, which is called physics. And, um, and all these things that we do in fire investigations are based on scientific principles, okay? Fire dynamics, heat transfer, thermodynamics, this is what he was saying. And, uh, and all these things are very, very important. So we have to know about them, but we don't have to be scientists to call a fire scene. Well, I, I mentioned a book, a book earlier, and, uh, you know, some people think that, you know, you, you've got to have a Ph.D. to do our, 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 our type of work, and I disagree with that. 
I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's some, there's something has to do. I think there, and I tell these guys this is that, you know, you got to learn all you can, be as knowledgeable you can about your craft. But there's no, there's no uh, replacement for experience. And going and right. doing and working in a fire station or being a detective and knowing how to interview people, that's part of science, you know. It's, you know, interviewing techniques and, you know, all the things we do from, uh, like you said, Mike, heat release, you know, knowing about combustion flames, uh, explosions, you know, as a bomb technician. You want to talk about explosions? I'll sit down and visit with you about it. I think I can mm-hmm. hold my own when it talks about, you know, low order, high order, you know, all those things, you know, but, you know, fluid mechanics, you know, just fire safety, how structures right. are built. You know, the environment is all about fire science. And so when you get into that stuff, a knowledgeable guy that's working in a fire station, I really believe that, can, if, that works hard at it can end up being a good fire investigator. And thank you for that. And that the message that we've been sending today is don't be scared. Do your homework. We've only we've only got a, um, about a minute and a half left, Mike. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So only got a minute and a half. So, Bo, I want to thank you very, very much for being with us. You're very a, a very enlightening person. We hope that you'll come back and be with us again in a future program. Absolutely. And before you leave, Mike, I want to give you that bean recipe. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Let me call you back. I don't want to share it with the whole world. Oh, I'm playing, man. Anyway, <laughs> hey, it was a it was a great week last week uh, being with you in the courtroom testimony class, and it was an honor for me, Donna and Mike, for me to participate in y'all's show. And I've heard so much about it, and uh, and now that Thank I can you. add that I was a I was a guest on your show, man. That's on my. Uh, I can check that off my list. Thank you so much, and everybody join us next week at Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.